right, my friends. Well, welcome back to Trekology. Thank you so much for joining us. Here we are yet again. And as always, I am one of your hosts, and my name is Jeff. And as always, here is my co-host, and his name is Greg. Hi, Greg. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing, Jeff? <laughs> How am I doing? Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm doing fine. Uh, at this exact second, my arms are a little chilly because I didn't put a sweatshirt on. But, um, you know, life you need, is life. Do you need a jacket, though? I was thinking I brought a jacket somewhere, but... Oh, it's it's literally on the chair behind me. But no, it was just, you know, trying to give as honest an answer as I can. How am I doing at this exact second of my life? And that was my first thought. Yeah. Is that, uh, yeah, my arms are a little chilly. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I got a, a head injury here. I saw that. Uh, yeah. On Thanksgiving, I uh, was carrying things out to the car. I had a lot of pots and stuff. We we're going over to my parents at Thanksgiving. Okay. And I was bringing all these things out to the car. And the next thing I know, I was uh, waking up on the ground. What? With blood on my forehead. Wow. <laughs> So uh, the prevailing theory is that uh, we have palm trees out front by the driveway. Yeah. And they drop these balls, nuts, I don't know. And I think I slipped on one and I hit the car on the way down. Oh, I thought one fell out of the tree and hit you in the head. No. Okay. Like a coconut falling off of a palm Right. Tree. That's you what know, I mean. Like yeah. 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 No, no. That, I, uh, I must have slipped on one. Wow. So, yeah. Minor concussion. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Blood everywhere. So yeah, okay. Wow. It looked a lot worse. Right. Last week. So. Wow. Okay, because that was gonna be adventure. Yeah, that was gonna be my question of how was your Thanksgiving, but yeah. that's I can't remember. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, my joke all Thanksgiving was, and I'm just so happy that all of you strangers have brought me into nice. Now. To nice. Thanksgiving. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Which somewhat fits with the episode we're talking about does. this time, it doesn't does. it? About losing <laughs> our minds or whatever. How about you? Did you lose your mind in, on Thanksgiving? No. Like, it's funny. What was I? Oh, there's some commercial on right now that's moderately disturbing. It might be a gambling commercial where it's talking about, like, what are the odds that your family gets into a fight? And what are the. The one that bothers me is this is what is the odds that grandpa, somebody is in a food coma versus a real coma. I'm like, that's not funny at all. And then they so poke dark. him to make sure yeah. he's alive. I'm like, good Lord. But it's been a long time since I've had like argumentative family gatherings. Yeah. Like my, on my side, my grandmother was a very strong-willed woman. And my cousin, also a very strong-willed woman. And so they would definitely, like if politics ever came up, it was definitely a... Not not like angry, but just like, you know, neither of them were budging. And they seemed to really thrive on that. And everyone else was just uncomfortable because <laughs> grandma is getting into it. With so, But other than that, yeah, haven't really had that sort of an experience, which is fine. I'm not missing that I haven't had that experience in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, it is very interesting being married is that my family and my wife's family are very different mm -hmm. gatherings uh my family they're you know 70s in their you know in, in their 70s uh there's really only two of the siblings had children and we're all in our 40s by now right so best case scenario there's maybe four kids there but that's a pretty rare occasion and two of those are yours and two of those are mine which you know but either way just the the sheer number of kids right uh because when i go to judy's family is that they've got well we had nine kids running around this wow. time no Eight kids. Eight kids running around. And sometimes it has even been the case where my sister-in-law, she, uh, her sister has five kids as well. So wow. it is a potential of four or 12 kids. That's 12? 13? Kids. Yes. Right? It yeah. just, it's like, yeah. It, a herd. It is. It Are is. Are they close in age? Uh, uh I mean. to cause trouble? Well, I mean, it's interesting, especially with my, and that's, that is, again, fascinating for me growing up with one sibling uh, and we're four years apart. So there was a time where we would do stuff together, but it was kind of a short window. I mostly yeah. remember the time where I'm in high school and she's, you know, just starting middle school. And so it's kind of like, eh, you're kind of a little kid. Yeah. Um, 
and that was the same way with my cousins. My cousins are about 10 years older than me. So same sort of a thing. They were into me like when I was like little and they were in like their preteens. Mm-hmm. But the moment they got into like high school and college, then I ceased to be yeah. terribly interesting. It is interesting, you know, a, a family of five kids, even though their oldest, uh, my brother-in-law's o- uh, oldest daughter is 18 now. Wow. Um, but they're, they're, they're kind of a, they're a clan. So, yeah. you know, they've been hanging out and doing stuff together for so long. Um, that's that's their main, like, social interaction is yeah. with the family. And they don't <laughs> – I don't want to say they don't need friends because, you know, and I'm not around them beyond once a year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they've got someone to hang out with Yeah. at all times. So yeah. – um, It's on my wife's family is too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Very close-knit like that, always hanging out with each other. Hmm. Um, and a number yeah. of them? Because I think the number is important too. Ooh. Boy, being together with my wife's family, my yeah. wife's extended family, uh-huh. I, it, it's just a huge amount of people okay. compared to what I'm used to. Okay. You know, typical white family, you know, gets together with their, you know, brothers and sisters and 15 people. You know, <laughs> <I'm bigger. laughs> oh, only 15 people. That's a small number to you? Well, you get, I mean, with my wife's family, a Saturday evening barbecue Turns into forty people. Wow. <laughs> See, for me, a it's normal huge. a normal family gathering growing up was like eight. So that's like when we get when when our little it's true. Gets yeah, that's and it. that's true. But I mean, like literally, it would be. I mean, I guess back in the day, grandma and grandpa when mm-hmm. they were both still around, uh, and then uh, two aunts, uh, one husband, and then one uncle, wife, mom, dad. So that's nine. Mm-hmm. So that's like nine people. Oh, and then me and my sister. So 11 is kind of our max capacity yeah. for, for years. So that was considered a large gathering. Yeah. And then so 15 sounds like, whoa, wow, <laughs> that's, that's, that's pushing it there. Yeah. So, But no, her family is huge. And there's kids at all, all ages, huh. like, you know. The thought occurs to me, especially being that we are on a Star Trek podcast here, they don't celebrate the holidays anymore in star trek do they we don't see christmas or thanksgiving or or anything like that there's a reference to christmas is there well the the legend or what they always talk about was in star trek generations when Mm -hmm. picard goes into the nexus they celebrate that's how he realizes that it's not real or whatever is because they're celebrating christmas at the picard household yeah and that was like a big deal to Trek people, I guess. I mean, Christmas is kind of one thing. I mean, Christmas is a uh, specific religious holiday. So if you are not, if you are the, what is it, 70% of the world is not Christian? Mm-hmm. Something like that. So you don't celebrate Christmas. Right. And if you are not American, like the vast majority of the world, you don't celebrate Thanksgiving. So they are a very specific cultural holidays yeah so picturing the enterprise which in any iteration or voyager or discovery or ds9 any of the they're not america centric Mm -hmm. things they weren't launched even even in enterprise they weren't launched from america they were launched from the world so they're part of what is it isn't it iasa is the the name i think that's what their badges say okay our Starfleet. There's somewhere where it's I, which I think is international mm-hmm. aeronautics space something something. Okay. It would be kind of interesting that each group then you would kind of think would celebrate their own culture. Yeah. So you could have or share it with the rest of the ship. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So you could have like Kirk, who I guess is born in Iowa. He would probably celebrate Thanksgiving. I can definitely see, and I'm especially for Roddenberry. Like that might be a little tricky to do. Mm-hmm. to not make to especially because it's an american tv show and to not make it seem like oh and thanksgiving is by far the most important holiday <laughs> all of these other people even if they're from russia or if they're from whatever they should know that it's thanksgiving and it should be a big deal right but now you know we're talking about an episode Aaron light here yeah which is there, there's a lot about culture in this episode and yes like, like me or uh disseminating one's culture yeah and I, I i feel like sometimes in these science fiction shows and these utopian like you know earth has figured out all its problems and is now at peace with each other uh-huh. and we're sending out spaceships into space 
a lot of times that utopian idea uh, comes at the cost of people uh, getting rid of their cultural, what, what makes mm. their cultures unique. Yeah. Like Thanksgiving for Americans or Christmas for Christians. Sure. You know, personally, I don't think that's the right message. Right. I think the idea should be that we are celebrating everybody's culture. Yeah. You know, and participating in those cultures. You know, that, that you know, that they have a Diwali festival aboard the Enterprise, you know, along with their Ramadan Yep. Fasting. Yep. If people want to participate in that and Christmas and everything. Yep. But that's how Passover. it should be. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it is some of it, I think, as both of us being white men growing up in kind of the white culture where I would have been one of the first to say that like, oh, but there isn't really a white culture. Like we don't really have our mm-hmm. own culture. And like, so sometimes we really appreciate like the people that do have quote culture uh, when in reality, and I mean, I remember reading somewhere, somebody pointed out that not only is there a white culture, but white culture is like the dominant culture in those settings. Like when white culture comes up against another culture, it picks apart like, what are the things in here that we want? We're going to take that and we're going to discard the rest. Right. And to join our culture, you need to throw all these things away. Yeah. So we really like, you know, the Mexican culture's food, some of it. And we really, you know, and we're going to even twist things into our own, you know, interpretations or whatever. But some of the things about like, you know, y'all with your day of the deads and your, your football, which we call soccer and like whatever, eh, you got to leave that at home. Like that, that's not really going to work for us. Uh, and it could be a similar thing that, I mean, again, like we've mentioned, the majority for a lot of the history of Star Trek was white men writing this show. And so that could be like, and that's the crazy thing is I don't even know that that's a conscious realization that like, this is our culture that we're portraying. It's more, well, the white culture is no culture. Like this is the lack of culture that just like the default. Yes. This is blank. Right. I don't know. Have you ever been in a position where you have been consciously sharing American culture or white culture with somebody else i'd say unconsciously all the time one of the the folks at school we were talking about christmas traditions Mm -hmm. and about the different things and how interesting it is to me that the things that our family has always done we just assume everybody else does that Mm -hmm. too when in reality like those are some either specific cultural to my family or specific to our grand culture. Whereas if we would experience Christmas in, you know, Singapore or Christmas in like Lithuania or something like that, they would probably have vastly different traditions. Yeah. Uh, And even, you know, like there's some families that do like uh, opening uh, presents on Christmas Eve, but they're only allowed to open pajamas because those are the pajamas that you wear on Christmas night or Christmas Eve or or something like that. You haven't done that? But there are families, there's lots of families that do that and that's their tradition. And when I say like, that sounds really weird, they're like, what? You don't do that? Like (laughs) it's, it's somewhat of the assumption that everybody does. And so that's the interesting thing. Yeah. Sharing. I mean, just having done Thanksgiving where there's, there's traditions traditional foods that like my family has eaten every single Thanksgiving since I have been alive. Mm -hmm. And then now being with the Smith family and they're like, you guys eat mashed potatoes. That's kind of weird, man. We eat sweet potatoes. Like mashed potatoes don't sound appealing at all. That's so strange. Right. Because it's a different culture, (laughs) even inside of American culture. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we lived in Holland, uh, we were there uh, around Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So my wife and I, we, brought the Thanksgiving, like Thanksgiving culturally to my family over there okay. while we were there. A couple of my members of my family, you know, they were born in the United States, but they had been living there for a long time. So it was kind of a nice um, reminder of that. But to my cousins and everything, this is a piece of American culture that we're bringing there, but it brings to light how there is culture there. There is a specific yeah. kind yeah. of culture, you know, this kind of holiday tradition even though they had seen it on TV because Americans export their culture all over right, the world through right. TV. But like participating in it is different. Yep. You know? And the same way that for the last couple of years, you know, on the fifth of December, and we're gonna be doing it again this year, we'll bring you guys some Dutch treats. Oh yeah. Or Santa Claus Right. You know, the the our the Dutch traditional celebration of Santa 
uh, or Sinterklaas arriving in uh, in Amsterdam mm. on a boat from where he lives in in Spain. You know, bringing that the culture. I think that it's it's great to be able to celebrate these different cultures yes. with with, um, with people and to like mix them up, like you said. Right. You know that that kind of synergy is also really valuable. And yep. it's interesting that we don't see that more in Star Trek. And I hope maybe in new Star Treks, maybe they will bring in more of that culture from the individual members of the crew. Yeah, yeah. It seems. I mean, as as we have seen with the any attempts to kind of like look at culture and realizing that this these shows are being portrayed to a specific culture right. um, creates difficulty yeah. where, you know, seeing, I mean, even, you know, like the, what was it like five, six years ago when there was the big thing about the war on Christmas because uh, Starbucks was changing their cups to not be as, you know, Christian focused yeah, or whatever. And to, to yeah. make it like, you know, Christmas should be even the, like, we can't even say Merry Christmas anymore. And just, we lost a good lot of people, a lot of really good people in that war on Christmas. <laughs> but it, it, I mean, it's that challenge is yeah. that, that, that not realizing that like this white Judeo Christian uh, culture has been the dominant culture. And then all of a sudden saying like, so Christmas should be just as important to America as, you know, Diwali or as, uh, Rosh Hashanah, or as any of these other religions' holidays, right. has been a really tough thing. Yeah, and and to yeah to to become the dream that I think America is like that's going to be a big hurdle to kind of what was I heard the phrase yesterday a thousand blo- a thousand flowers all blooming at the same time. Mm. Like I really like that picture. That's beautiful. It is, but it's like. That's tough to not be one flower that's trying to take up more sun than the other flowers. Right, right. And living in a pluralistic society like yes. that is difficult. Yep. Yeah, and going back to this episode, being able to disseminate that cultural information and how we do that is so important, you know? Yep, yep. Well, along those lines, let's dive in into the episode we're, we're chewing on today. We are talking about... The Inner Light from Season 5 of The Next Generation. Uh, if you've been with us this season, you know we've been chewing on different episodes and talking about the themes that come out. We are now transitioning into Next Generation by jumping in to Season 5. Greg, you, you've seen this episode before, I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, for me, the interesting thing I remember about this episode was right before the finale of Next Generation aired, they uh, pulled the top five episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm. And then they did like a marathon leading into the finale. And and I remember the five episodes were the ones you would probably expect, the ones where there's action and stuff blowing up. So number one and two, which was kind of cheating to do one and two, but it was the best of both worlds, part one mm-hmm. and two, fighting the Borg. Number three was yesterday's Enterprise to show like, hey, what if they all like were a warlike culture? Yeah. Now we're talking. <laughs> uh, number five was Relics. So mm-hmm. the bringing in an original series. So totally expected. And number four, though, was this episode, The Inner Light. Which, which is such a quiet episode. It is. It's so opposite of those other four episodes. And I, well, I remember when that came out, I hadn't even heard of this episode mm. before that. Nothing quote notable happens per se there's no again there's no battle sequences it's not even one might say it's not even a terribly like star trekky episode there's not a whole lot of techno babble going on it's not really an ensemble episode the one thing i do like is there's little vignettes where kind of everybody gets to be who they are so we see Worf, who's always like, we should attack. This yeah. thing is attacking the captain. And we see Riker, who's very panicked the whole time about like, <laughs> what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We got to save the captain. Uh, this is one of my one of my favorite kind of crusher like doctor moments mm. is as she uh, tries to save Picard and then really doesn't do anything. It's just because Data reestablishes yeah. the beam. But then she has that moment where she kind of puts her head in her hands and it's it's just like, yeah, it's it's just like this is a doctor who legitimately cares about trying to save people and you know, the frustration of I don't know how to save this person. Like, I kind of like that even though it's not an episode about her. Yeah. So what about you? Like you said this is this is a a favorite of yours? Yeah, yeah. I I've always really enjoyed this idea, you know, of, uh, of like we're talking about, disseminating culture, that it, it's such an interesting idea that a world that's dying 
sends up this thing so that they can live on you know kind of like in a living book or something like that mm. although i was watching this with my wife last night and she brought up something that i hadn't really thought of before the morality of this alien these aliens to kind of kidnap somebody yeah and put them into this story where picard lives like half a life there yeah you know falls in love has children grandchildren people that he loves and then you rip him out of that well i mean his life ended basically he lived an entire lifetime and everybody around him well not everybody but like his wife dies his best friend dies so he's gonna have a lot of unaddressed trauma oh totally from all that oh yeah that's rough yeah like all those people that he loved are gone yeah yeah right which well and that's the other part they never existed so that's they never existed in that way but they still we don't know experience the experience is what matters right it did strike me this morning uh that in some ways i viewed this as basically the opposite idea of it's a wonderful life as opposed to Mm. let me show you a life like what your life could have been to make you appreciate the life that you had this is let me give you another glimpse of a different life it it reminded me and and it's always it's uh, do, do I like it more than it deserves? I don't know. But have you ever seen the Nicolas Cage movie, The Family Man? I think so. Okay. A long time ago. It's a very similar idea where Magic Don Cheadle shows up yes. and says, what if you would have married that girl instead? And then he has this life where he's like a schlub and he lives yeah. in the suburbs, but he loves that life. And then he wakes up as his rich man again and then he wants to get that life back again. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen that one. And it's from 2008, people. So come on, you should have seen it by now. <laughs> but the other thing is, it is basically the same concept as WandaVision. Mm, is that yeah. it, other than the fact that Wanda's the one in WandaVision that chooses her own reality. But I mean, it's almost the exact same. Like, I want to create a reality where I have my husband, I have a wife, or like I have, I have kids, I have this perfect life. In some ways, this is what Picard is given. So that's the interesting thing is, I think emotionally, the way that Picard receives this I think he receives it as a gift as opposed to an imposition. Interesting. You're totally right. Like it see and that's what's interesting is they mentioned towards the end of the simulation, whatever you want to call it, his experience. Uh, the Bataille character even says something like, We had hoped to find someone who blah 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 blah. Like this would work. Because you imagine like <laughs> what if it had li- if it had like attached itself to Worf how would Worf's experience have been or like somebody else even like Riker like anybody else why did it pick Picard we don't know Mm -hmm. but for some reason because I mean it doesn't know that they're viewing it through the view screen it could have literally picked anyone on the entire ship yeah but it somehow picked Picard and yeah for me it's really interesting that it's it's a combination of he was the right person to be the 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 spokesman because the the aftermath of this episode you got to assume he's going to go through debriefing he's going to like tell starfleet and stuff like that chart all of this stuff about the history of this place but the experience that he gets personally of what this life that he never experienced could have been and and was for all intents and and purposes yeah it really seems like again that's what makes it such a great episode is that how personal i think it is to him yeah i never i never really thought of it in that way that this was a gift for him Hmm. you know as as somebody he has chosen career over family yeah you know and you see that a lot he never all the women that he gets even a little bit engaged with romantically nothing really like lasts we we don't see anything really last forever. You right. Know? Well, and we really only see that once, twice, yeah. maybe. Because, yeah. like, at this point, season five, I think the Vash episode, Vosh, as he pronounces her, uh, had happened. Yeah. Which was a really weird, I'm like, are you into each other? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But for me, like, and that's what, and then this this episode every single time, like, yeah, definitely. I don't know that I get choked up, but I definitely, like, have... The, tears in my eyes get the feel yeah there you go um and the one which i guess i had glossed over in the past but is the one line that his wife says where she says like in all the stories you've told me you've never 
you've never mentioned anyone who loved you. Mm-hmm. And like, dang, like that's like right there. It's yeah. like that's that's Picard. Picard does not have anyone who loves him. And that's rough, man. Is that true though? I mean, From his it, perspective, I think it is. You think so? Yeah. He doesn't see the love of his crew for him? Definitely not. I do not believe that he views his crew from that perspective. And that's that. I think that's the point of the final episode, mm-hmm. is that he has zero personal connection. He has he makes an effort to make a, pers- a, a professional connection. I am their captain. I am their leader. I am yeah. in charge of them. I'm responsible for them. Mm-hmm. They do not love me. Whether that's true or not, but that's not, he doesn't receive that. He, he, yeah. he can't no, receive that. Yeah. He, he's unwilling to receive that. And that's what makes, yeah, this experience. Now, the tough part, and that's what I was thinking about with this episode, doing, this is one thing that makes episodic television very difficult, mm-hmm. is that they couldn't really do anything with this. It, it's kind of a bottle episode. It is, and Yeah. So, like, from here, do we see, like, okay, well, now, and clearly, sadly, from seeing the Picard TV show, did it change him where he's like, you know what, now I I think this is something I want to pursue. I want to, mm-hmm. you know, get married and have a family and stuff like that. I guess not. No. Like, he becomes a cranky old man all by himself. Yeah. Which is somewhat of a shame that, I mean, maybe he's like, well, I already had that. I had a family. Like, but we don't I, get to explore that either. I, I can't. I can't see that. Uh, I think it's just, I don't know, poor writing? That this this didn't have any lasting effect on the Picard character. Yeah, because I mean, you know, it could be like a game changer. Yeah, and I think I it don't would know. Change that, the show, right? I don't know that they wanted to do that. Yeah, because that's what Riker's for. Riker's the <laughs> the playboy that uh, with uh, is Madi, right? Uh, Imzadi. 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 I'm assuming. I mean, I've just read it, Imzadi. but it looks like oh, <laughs> uh, they pronounced it at least one time. Oh yeah. Anyway. I think in the first season, really? they say it a couple of times. Okay, that could yeah. be. That could be. Did they is... say it in that Picard episode? Uh, I, I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> Unlikely. I don't think the Picard you, you writers... You don't call Judy and Bobby? <laughs> well, there, she's not. That's that's uh-huh. a specific Beta Z. Like, you can't have Fair that enough. with a non... It would be cultural appropriation. That's, well, well, not only that, but also she doesn't have the um, telepathic, empathetic powers mm-hmm. that would make that possible so sorry judy okay yeah (laughs) a couple of thoughts that popped into my head from watching this episode one is that they did mention or when laforge like figures out where this came from and finds out that the the star went nova like a thousand years ago so it means that this culture that he's experiencing is from a thousand years ago so in like technological or like time wise they were actually a more advanced civilization than we were because mm-hmm. this them so that would have been what because it's like 24 5, 24 something yeah is the 24th century is when this is taking place so that this is during the 1400s yeah. our time or w- real time or whatever is when this took place so i found that interesting because it does Compared to the Enterprise, this is seen as a less advanced civilization. But it is also interesting that this probe, I'm pretty sure Starfleet does not have the technology to do that. Yeah. Like, I don't know that they try to, but the combination of the, like, mental simulation and the accelerated time that he's able to experience, I'm assuming it's probably, like, 50 years, 60 years at least, right? Because he well, we see that it takes like twenty five minutes. It takes well, right? It takes twenty five minutes of real time. It takes five years before Picard and his wife decide to have children. Yeah. Then they have Maribor, and by the time it's over, she's in her twenties at least. No. Oh, I think older oh, than no, that. When she has the kid. Yeah. She's gotta be at least in her thirties. At least in her thirties, maybe even so. It could be. Yeah. You know, somewhere around forty years yeah. or so that he experiences. Yeah, um, I guess in, on the low end. Yes, in twenty-five minutes. Yeah. So two thoughts is that one that whole thing where they sever the the the, the beam and he starts going into convulsions uh, is that one is part of that the time effect going from living that mm-hmm. fast to all of a sudden right, could that be a difficult transition? Yeah. Uh, but the other one is given that time effect. Was he 
like having convulsions in the simulated world for like two years like how did that or did the cutoff of the stream meant that he just like ceased or whatever yeah I don't know. I don't know. That's maybe reading too much into it, but I've always thought about that. <laughs> the idea of um, disseminating your culture like that, you know, putting putting a message for somebody else that you're never going to meet, but yeah. so that your culture lives on. Yeah. I read on the Memory Alpha website that the writer of this web, of this episode is Jewish, and part of this idea came from the memoirs of people who uh, lived through the Holocaust. Oh. You know that that they are taking something terrible that happened to them and disseminating that out so that other people can learn from it. Interesting. My favorite part, I think, of this episode is the flute that Mm. Picard has. Yeah. And I think it is really well written that he gets the flute, like that's what's in the thing. So it's basically like, here's like a tangible memory, like remember us. But we also see that the skill that he picked up in that time, like he still contains that. Yeah, he still knows that how to play. Real. Yeah. Uh, and then, and so that's why I love where uh, Lieutenant Darren, I think, comes on and they connect through their music. Yeah. That she, like, and he shares that with her. And I found it so fascinating. So clearly, that was part of the, the program was mm-hmm. that you're, you play the flute, uh, which could not be more like and he even acknowledges this could not be more anti picard than anything other than like i mean i guess something other you know like oh you're a artistic dancer or something yeah. like that <laughs> that would uh right it would be like no i don't know about that one um but what i found so fascinating even as i was thinking about this flute and that's what we see later on like when he shares this with lieutenant darren is that this is a an intimate hidden part of me that i don't show anybody yeah. and that's so picard He's got so much of that. Uh, and the fascinating thing that just like, yeah, just the layers of that scene where he's sharing it with Bataille and he's talking about like, uh, like the, the most amazing thing is how much I enjoy it. Mm. And it's like, that's Picard. That's, that's not this character or whatever. And that's the other nice thing is that I don't think he's playing a character no, in this simulation, so even though he has a different name. Yeah. This is him. So it's the same thing as Picard, the dad, Picard, the husband yeah. that we don't get to see in the rest of his life. Yeah. But I think the flute in a lot of ways for me really symbolizes that. The, and the, the, I think the one change, like we're talking about the writing of Star Trek doesn't change from this point on, but I have a hunch Patrick Stewart does and that he mm. is now playing. We were talking before about like Uhura and about how Nichelle Nichols, it felt like he, she had a lot of inner, even if the dialogue didn't play it out, she had inner motivation that she was yeah. portraying. I think it's the same thing with Picard. Is that, So now Patrick Stewart going forward knows Picard has this in him. Mm. This is a part of what he is concealing. And every now and then it might break out, but it's, it's, it's in there. That's and I really like that. Yeah. That's interesting. I think they'll change the way I watch episodes in the future. Mm. You know, at post, you know, yeah. the flute. Post the flute. I like that. Uh, so now going back to uh, what you were talking about before, about this idea of portraying a culture this way. I sympathize or I, whatever. And I mean, even like they talk about that. How do we, how does our culture survive mm-hmm. this like apocalypse and and even which i thought was interesting like like can we evacuate some people or like evacuate it to where right like the sun is going supernova even imagining like on earth like we would be in big trouble if this happened right now because if it's going supernova you can't go to mars you can't go to the moon they're all gone like you would have to go to an entirely different solar system and we don't have that technology and neither did they uh, and so, yeah, sending out genetic samples was an interesting idea that Picard throws out. But instead, they chose this. And I thought that was really fascinating about having a civilization live on through this. Like, mm-hmm. this is the best way our civilization lives on. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. Like, well, so Picard, I, would he agree? Like, yeah. he literally got to live an entire life or, you know... 40 years as one of them as part of their people like is that the best way to understand this culture yeah that's interesting i mean it it seems like that idea of like walking in somebody's shoes yes for 40 years yes that that 
that seems like a really good way to understand intimately the culture. Mm. There's probably a good chance that this is a edited version of their culture. Sure. That shows the best parts, just as we, if we were going to send out our culture, we would send out like the best parts. I mean, it's somewhat of the... What because so what makes me think about is learning about like the Soviet Union, for example. Okay. We seem to talk about the Soviet Union a lot, uh, and it's very Chernobyl. well in Chernobyl. <laughs> I talk about that one a lot, but we just went through the original series, yeah. so the Soviet Union is a major player. Like that wasn't that was what everybody was thinking about back right. in those days. If you're gonna ask me what the Soviet Union was like, I can look at a history book. I can tell you about you know. Gorbachev and Khrushchev and like all of the leaders and Stalin. I can talk about their military accomplishments. Can I tell you anything about what life in the Soviet Union was like? Right. Not really. I can tell you some of the like stories that I've heard. Mm -hmm. I never did that. I never lived there. And that I think would be a very, very different picture. Yeah. Um, Like, was it, I mean, that's that, again, that's one of the things I do like about Chernobyl is that I feel like it gives a little bit of that glimpse. Now, I think Chernobyl is, like you're talking about, the extreme situations. Mm-hmm. It's not like how everyday, I mean, it is about how everyday people would respond to an extreme situation, right. but not what it was like on, you know, Tuesday yeah. or something like that. And that's such a such an interesting part of, like, traveling and being somewhere yeah. for, for a long time, like going to a country or a city that you've never been to and being there not just for a quick trip where you see the sights and then leave exactly but living there yep and being part of that and understanding what tuesday is like mm-hmm. you know yep well and that was i remember uh so i went back in college i visited scotland for a summer mm-hmm. because that may or may not be where my family is from my whole thing was the same thing I don't really care about seeing the sights. I don't really care about doing the sightseeing thing. I would much rather know what life is like. What are the people like? What right. What is the world? And that's not an easy thing to do because, I mean, one, it takes a lot, it takes a long time to really get to know this sort of a thing. And most things are, it's much easier to do the sightseeing things. It if is. you're visiting a place, that's what they're built for. Yeah. Like, here's a visitor. Let me tell you the visitor's guide. Let me give you like these things to do whereas life is not really about things to do some of it is just like hey it's thursday we go shopping yeah like hey it's you know monday we you know usually sit and watch tv and then we go to sleep early this day or you know this is the day that mass singer is on so we watch it or or whatever Mm -hmm. you know but that's that's life that's just what the experience of life is like. I don't know. I find that fascinating. I'm, I'm, uh, I've been thinking about, especially with Thanksgiving and stuff like that, we just watched um, Disney's Pocahontas, mm. uh, and which was an interesting, I had a lot of different thoughts. I don't know that I'd actually seen it all the way through, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. And um, like about how good a job did they do representing Native cultures. Uh, and, and the sad thing is, compared to... It's contemporaries and other like fairly low bar because right. that you know pre uh, dances with wolves, mm-hmm. it had been cowboys and Indians were yeah. about the best portrayal and then oh they just want to kill everybody that's kind of their thing yeah well, just, hey while you were watching Pocahontas I was watching Peter Pan and that uh... yeah as opposed to what was it actually like to live as a Sioux mm-hmm. uh, Native American for you know. 40 years. And and that's what I like about it. that's I I really have a lot more appreciation for Dances with Wolves because that's exactly what Dances with Wolves is. Yeah. He lives in this culture for that period of time and gets to appreciate that they're not one dimensional. Yeah. Like nobody is. Yeah. Which I think is the challenge though that makes me think we unless it's accelerated into 40 years into 25 minutes we're not going to get that opportunity that's rough we we may not get the the deep meaning of it but talking to people from other cultures yeah with a open mind and open heart where yeah. you can receive their experience yeah. you know into you and to to try to make it part of your experience mm. that's we can get get closer to that right you know and that's that's so vitally important you know we're talking about like the synergy of different holidays or just like celebrating holidays from different cultures you know if we're going to have like a hanukkah meal or something like that you know being with other jewish people at the time Mm. and 
experiencing that with them, listening to their stories, listening to their traditions, and having an open heart to that really helps you to absorb some of that, some of that experience, some of that, some of the meanings behind those things, and gives you a deeper appreciation of that culture. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like like one of the struggles I've observed is the desire for, I mean, superiority sounds too grandiose, but maybe to justify our way of life, mm. something like that, where it always seems like, is my way of life better than this way of life or whatever, or, or, or any way that we want to do a plus and minus sort of a scenario. Yes, just comparison in general. And we've talked a little bit before about like that's one of the challenges I have, which will be the next thing we talk about in a second, uh, about even comparing seasons of life. We're saying like, is it better to have a job or to be going to school? Is it better to be retired or to be working? Is it better to be, and it's just like the, the, the challenge of always needing better is, is really difficult. And I, I, I don't know if it's specific to our culture that yeah. we do that more than other cultures do. But I think that's the challenge. If we're going to look at, and, I'm, and you know, I've been reading the 1619 Project, which is intentionally rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talking about like the, um, they weren't colonists, the slavers that showed up to Africa and saw the tribes there and said, look at these people. They are worthless or they are backwards or they are way below us yeah like technologically culturally whatever and you hear that so often from white supremacists sure yeah that, yeah that that africa is so backwards yep. that it was so backwards that it is so backwards yeah. and that was a theme in pocahontas too yeah is that that was one thing even john smith said in the movie was oh we could teach your people so many things like right. you blah 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 right. and it's just like well what can we teach you uh I mean, that's when they sing Colors of the Wind, because it's just like, and that was the sad part, is that <laughs> the the ending of the story, I guess, is like, did we learn anything from them? Yeah. Or did we have the idea of like, well, we have nothing that they could, we can learn. Like, we got to teach you because we're a superior uh, society. Yeah. I think that's a real, that's a real challenge. And, you know, so again, so maybe that's the solution here, is that we need to develop the technology to live an entire lifetime in 25 years. Uh, or 25 minutes, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I feel like it would be a, it would be a game changer. Yeah. Yep. And I and yeah, and I think that's a, that's a challenge. If you have an idea already of not of your own superiority necessarily, mm-hmm. but of more superiority is better. Is that's that an interesting point? Yeah, yeah. Is that if that clearly one of these is going to be better? And yeah. I need to pick the one that is better, which again, I think goes back to what we were talking about before about the kind of like the white culture mm. taking the things that they believe are better and then discarding the rest really and saying like, thing. you know, tacos and, and uh, burritos, you, you guys do. That's a really good idea. Even quesadillas. We'll take that. But like, you know, the the, the tongue or something like that or lingua, isn't it lingua? Lingua. Yeah. lingua? yeah. No, we're not into that. No. So no, that, that wasn't a good idea. All right. So the other one that I wanted to talk about was... For me, this episode, which I I do love this episode, but it does feel like there is a family-centric perspective Mm. that feels like the moral of the story is Picard doesn't realize how happy he would be if he just got married and had kids. Mm -hmm. And... And it's it's the same concept. I was I was mentioning the Family Man before with the Nicolas Cage one. Same concept, and and it feels like there is a thread of thinking through Americana that that is the ultimate happiness. Yeah. Is that you won't really be happy unless you get married and have kids. Mm-hmm. Like which for me, I feel like I've gotten that from the church. I've gotten that from movies and television. I've gotten that from so many things. Which for me is heartbreak. It's got to be heartbreaking then if you're infertile. If you're not capable of bearing children, it's kind of like, well, I'm sorry. You are never going to experience true happiness. Yeah. Like, dang. Like, that's a horrible message to convey. It really is. Yeah. And yet it does. It feels feels like that pervades so much of our media, of our thought processes, at least in America. Yeah. Um, I know like we were talking about before about propaganda 
and I was watching something where they were talking about, uh, what was it? I think it was Soviet propaganda. And he said, it's a brilliant movie if you can just kind of realize this is Soviet propaganda. Mm -hmm. And he said, but let's be honest, how much of our media is American propaganda? Mm -hmm. Like, isn't Top Gun just American oh, propaganda? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so then isn't everything by Frank Capra? Isn't, yeah. isn't It's a Wonderful Life American propaganda? It is. Yeah. about like the American dream and about like, yes, he's dirt poor. Yes. He's probably going to prison, but Hey, he's got a family and a house. He's got to be happy. Right. Yeah. Before we had our son, I was pretty sure that we were not going to be able to have children hmm. and we're Catholic. So like family is a huge thing. Yeah. And just like having lots of kids is a huge <laughs> thing. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hurtful. You know, that, that, that kind of, um, emphasis that's put on it yeah even though we have a whole class of people who are celibate and never, get married right. and never <laughs> there's still that really strong like get married mm. have kids get married have kids get married have kids yeah and i have i have catholic friends who have never they're not priests and, you know, I don't know about their celibacy. That's not really my business. <laughs> but they, they never got married. They don't have any children. And, you know, they're, they're at the point in their lives now where they probably won't, you know. Mm -hmm. And that kind of messaging has been really harmful for them. But they're not, they're not real interested mm. in it but they still feel guilty for not having done it. And it's rough. Yeah. It's rough because, I mean, when it comes right down to it, there's all kinds of people in life. Right. right? There's all kinds of people in all ways of living. Yeah. And saying that this is the best way, going back to the superiority, this is the best way, is hard yeah. when there's so many different ways of living. One thing that I always feel like I learned from working at Disney for six years. Even going back to what we've talked about, everybody's trying their best to be parents and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people that I'm like, I don't think you should have had children. Like, I don't mm -hmm. think you have any business because you are not doing this right. And you, and I mean, like we know, it's difficult to be a parent. Like it, it you know, you need a good deal of patience. You need a good deal of um, like, you need to have your temper in check. Mm -hmm. You need to have like your emotions and you need to, uh, you know, be able to like a certain level of selflessness, all of those sort of things. And not everybody has that. Right. And to say that, but they should have children anyway. I, I, I don't, I mean, again, I, I don't know that everyone is wired to be a parent or to even be married, you yeah. know, because marriage is difficult. It, it is. takes a certain, you know, not, not skill set. Cause again, now that it feels like it's slipping into superiority versus inferiority where it's like, well, it's, I'm a better person because I have the whatever to get married or mm -hmm. something like that. But at the same time, and like, that's the challenge for me that I've found is, and I even mentioned, mentioned it earlier on where I talked about like in Picard, the show, he's a grouchy old man by himself. Yeah. That's kind of how it feels. And that idea of like picturing what it would be like to be 70 or 80 years old, uh, to have never been married, never had children. And feels to me uh like a lonely existence it does it does to me too and that's that challenge that it's like so then it is a less good way of life unless we're saying that loneliness is not a bad thing which yeah. i don't know that we'd say that but, but then again we are focusing on the values that we have as a culture yes and the system that we set up you know to so that we really need somebody when we're 80 because there's not Oh, there's not yeah. a community around us right. that's going to take care of us even if we're not like biologically related yeah you know th there's other cultures out there where they take care of older people right even if you're not related to them yeah i mean here in america a lot of times it seems like even when you are related to them <laughs> right <laughs> you know yeah. you find them on some, somebody else yep but I, I before we had our son i i often thought and you know i'm married but I often thought, what what is our old age going to look like? Yeah, you know, if we don't have any children. Yeah, you know, we we have we have a nephew. Is he going to visit us? You uh -huh. know, but like without kids, you're kind of left on your own. Yeah, but that's a 
cultural reason. Interesting. It's it's set up to value people who are married. Yeah. You know, it, it encourages that yeah. because there's no support system otherwise. Right. Because an, an, an argument that I've heard, especially from church folk, uh, is the command to be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. Is that that's our job. We're supposed to have babies. For me, uh, theologically, I'm, I'm not as gung-ho on that, uh, especially because we've done our job, my friends. Like, we have way more people on this planet Ooh, than... Yeah. Uh, uh, reasonably support. Yes, exactly. So to say, like, we got to keep going or whatever, I, I feel like there is a certain level of truth to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are biologically wired to reproduce but i do wonder yeah like culturally sociologically things like that and not only that but again we're at a point in our culture where if every single human does not reproduce we're gonna be okay like we don't again we don't need more children in order to sustain life on this planet it this whole thing of the superior way of life being a family makes me uncomfortable but i also kind of don't I don't know. I don't see a way around it, I guess. Yeah. And maybe it's because I'm so hardwired to believe that this is the way that it, I, I don't see another way, maybe. Like what a fruitful single life would look like. Mm-hmm. I think it exists. Mm. I, I know people, like the people that I mentioned, who, who have lifelong uh, single people and who have had very fruitful lives, ones based around helping their communities, yeah. helping the people around them, uh, being in communion with those people, mm. you know, and because they're single, they don't have the, um, the responsibilities to their, to their family sure. that keeps them from serving in the community, right? which is the whole idea behind a celibate priesthood, you know, is that you don't have those other, those mm. other ties down. Interesting. But even for lay people, you know, being being single lifelong, that it provides opportunity that you don't have otherwise. Mm. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You know, you're you've worked as a pastor or in ministry, and I know for me, even as a lay person in, in, who who participates in ministry, there are things that I want to do that I turn down. Sure. Because of my family, yeah. you know. And that because my first priority has to be there. Hmm. So there are there is there is a lot of opportunity for a a real fruitful life that's based around other people. Yeah. That you can't do as a married person. Interesting. Well, like one thing that I've noticed or wondered at the very least is that that perspective of like aren't aren't you so much happier once you got married, and. I always find that a very challenging question because I I wonder how many people like, does that question lead to divorce in some cases Mm. where, because there are definitely times where it's just like, well, when I was single, like this was different when I was single, this was there, this was there. And for me, I don't think there's a benefit to doing like a pros and cons and to be like, well, these things were better here, but this thing was worse. And these things were better here. And these things were worse. And because doing that comparison, like, there might be times where it's like, you know, this other life seems more appealing. And I feel like that is not beneficial in, no. in any way. But that's just chasing comfort. You know, that's just chasing like, this is better over here. So I'm going to do this instead. Yeah. You know, and that's not what life is about. Mm. You know, we're, we, uh, a lot of our life should be devoted to sacrificing our, our own comfort for other people, mm. you know? So if we're like, well, when I was single, nobody bugged me about putting my shoes away, going back to Aaron Light. Yeah. I put my shoes wherever I wanted. You <laughs> know? That's just a comfort thing. You yeah. know, that's not a sacrifice thing, you know, because that, that doesn't lead to a flourishing life. Even viewing Picard's two lives in this episode. So we've got Picard, Captain of the Enterprise, the flagship of starfleet he is known throughout the quadrant the galaxy he's a really big deal yeah as opposed to here he is this life canaan married two kids a schlub that even the administrator is like who is this guy again like he's nobody Mm -hmm. and my perception is that 
the perspective of the show is that that you were happy then. Yeah. You are less happy now or something like that, which again, doesn't come up again. Same thing with the, the Nicholas Cage movie, the family man, you were, were, were happier when you had no money and were living in the suburbs with this family than you are now as this high paid whatchamajigger guy. And I think it's a fascinating contradiction in our culture that we somehow believe we somehow believe almost both of those things. We look at people that are successful financially and we envy them and we say, I want to be them. But then there's also this Frank Capra, like, but the family life and the home life is, I bet you they want to be me. And I wonder if that's the perspective. If It's that middle class kind of like arrogance, something like that. Pride uh, that even though I don't have a ton of money, I still have a better life but I'd still like a ton of money. I don't know. It feels very contradictory to me. That's interesting. That's an interesting part of, uh, of American culture. Yeah. Generally that we, we want to have a lot of money. Yes. But we also like the heartwarming Christmas stories. Yes. We're going into that season is all about family. Yes. You know, it's, it's such the motif where the highly successful person who never made time for, Friends and family learns a lesson about yes. friends and family at yep. Christmas. Making us feel better about what we're already doing. There's an entire cable channel that's devoted to making these movies. Yes. You know, it's such a weird dichotomy that right? we have. Yes. And it is the life you live where you are that really gives you meaning. You know, we we have this idea that Picard would be more happy, you know, with a family, with kids and everything. Yeah. I don't know that that's true. Right. He was happy there, but he made his life there. Yes. He did the good thing there. He lived his life in a way that was good. Okay. Single and celibate aboard the Enterprise, he is also living a good life there. Hmm. Right. And, and I think he's also happy there. Yeah. I don't know. Picard and happiness. I think I think you would be, you are right. I don't know that that's how it is written because mm-hmm. I don't know that we ever see Picard. I mean, like how often do you see him smile? Yeah. Like, I don't know if he's what we would call traditionally happy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, contentment and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I think we see, we see that that fulfilled maybe is a better yeah, way of fulfilled. putting it. Hey, that's a good, that's a good point yes. because really happiness is not. Right. I mean, that's what I did like about the Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, which you really need to see it. This is like the third time I've mentioned it. So. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've never hyped right. Nicholas Cage movie. Oh, it's so true. But what I like about it is, unlike It's a Wonderful Life, well, it, again, it's the opposite of It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life is basically a scare tactic to scare you into like being content with where you are. Yeah. And uh, this is the opposite, where it's like, let me show you a vision of what you could have been mm-hmm. and then put you back into your regular life and then basically, now you have the choice. What do you yeah. want to do moving forward? And so, well, I don't want to spoil the end because you all got to go see this movie, uh, which came out 15 <laughs> years ago. Uh, but like, he does have a choice. So it's the same thing with Picard. Picard does have a choice when he comes back to this life. Like, what does he want to do? Yeah. Does he want to stay as a captain? Does he want to pursue love? Does he want to, you know, like whatever? Um, I think we're supposed... I don't, again, I don't think they built off of this other than uh, uh, Lieutenant Darren yeah. coming in. I think the conclusion we must draw is that he chooses this life. Mm-hmm. And this is the life that he, you know, I don't, he's not stuck. It's not like, well, you are forced to be captain of the Enterprise. Like, he chooses, he chooses this He path. chooses this path. Yeah. yeah. And he's seen both. Right, Probably exactly. Like most of us. And maybe that's, seen both. yes, and maybe that's the big key. Like for and that's that's always been my my thought is that it's it's not is having kids better than not having kids is being married better than not being married who cares I'm choosing this yeah. and so not having one you know one glance over the shoulder to see like well should I have chosen the other one like no I chose this and yeah. I'm going to like live this way yeah and be and, all in right right and there's because there's no yeah there's no greener pasture or there's no uh, like plan B. Yeah. Like, why bother? Like, let's just, let's just, you know, yeah, go in this direction. Yeah. And being content in that. Yeah. There you go. That's, that, that sounds like a quote from the Bible, right? Being content in all things. <laughs> there you go. Got to throw some scripture in there. 
All right, my friends. Well, that was The Inner Light. We mentioned the episode a couple of times, uh, <laughs> but you know, we were dancing around it. So a very, again, a very interesting, very uh, not tech-heavy episode. So, mm-hmm. um, so the next episode might be somewhat similar. We're going to dive into uh, the episode The Outcast, which will be another interesting one to chew on, probably a little bit different than this episode, yeah. uh, talking about relationships again though but uh in in somewhat different ways so please come and join us for that uh as always we are on twitter or at least there is a trek underscore ology on twitter that you can view for updates when this comes out uh i'm hoping that our audio has gotten a little bit better we're still working on it so stick with us uh we love having you out there so uh any parting thoughts my friend Live a life of contentment. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I do want to make up some shirts. Oh, yeah. That seems like the opposite of where we were driving to. But uh, I do want to find that one and uh, Peace, Good, War, Bad. Those seem to be our two bumper stickers that you can take away. Live a life of contentment. Or fulfillment. Which one did we say? Fulfillment? Okay. Fair enough. All right, my friends. Well, thanks again. We will see you next time. But for this time, we shall say... Live long and prosper. Peace and long life.